You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. You're listening to the Show Jumping Podcast, a fun and informative show for riders, owners, trainers, grooms, and fans of all levels. I'm Ashley Winch in Kansas City, Missouri. And I'm Christy McCormick in Saratoga Springs, New York. And you're listening to the Show Jumping Podcast, where we deliver at-home riding exercises to our listeners and chat with fellow horse enthusiasts about the world of show jumping. And this week, we are going to add some questions from our listeners who have written in a couple of riding questions that I can answer and... We can keep this going. Ashley, can you tell our listeners how to write in a question that they might have for me that I can answer on a future podcast? Absolutely. You guys can send those questions right over to me, Ashley, A-S-H-L-E-Y, at horseradionetwork.com. Or if emailing's not your thing and you'd rather send a voicemail, you can head over to horseradionetwork.com. And on your right-hand side, you'll see a red button that says voicemail line. It's as easy as one, two, three, record, listen, and send, and make sure you mention Christy and the Show Jumping Podcast, and we'll be happy to share your voicemail on our podcast as well as answer your question. I hope my answers are as easy as one, two, three. I don't know. That's going to work out, but we'll see. Uh, Joining us today is my good friend, Jamie Cormier. I feel like I say that at every podcast. My good friend is with me, although I have a lot of fun horse friends, so... Jamie's with me today, um, and she is the manager of Show Barn Block Show Stables. Uh, Jamie's calling in from Wellington, Florida. How you doing, Jamie? I am doing very good. Happy to be here. Thank you. Great. Um, can you just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do at your barn? Um. The list is long and never ending, but I'll do my best. Um, I am technically the manager here at Block Show Stables. And by technically, you mean that's on your resume there as your job description? (laughs) Technically, yes. Perfect. Just to know. Um, (laughs) I don't know if there is a job description. Um, But yeah, I'm kind of in charge of everything from making sure the horses are all happy and sound and well-fed, making sure they look their best to go to the ring, helping kind of with the plan to keep them going and keep them fit and just kind of be involved with the day-to-day aspect of, you know, what it takes to keep a, a horse and a top show jumping horse kind of, in line and ready to go to the ring and compete at the top level. So that sounds like it's a lot of jobs all wrapped into one. Um, you and I have both worked for a very large barn that, uh, well, let's start with this. How many horses do you have in your barn right now? Currently I only have six. Um, so it's a bit of a easier time than it ever really has been for me and any job that I've had in all honesty. Um, you know, but at the same time it's, it's only six horses, but you know, every horse gets treated the same for me. It doesn't matter what their job is or what they're doing or if they're on a break or whatever, like they all get taken care, care of daily, you know, as if they're 
at the top of the sport again, no matter kind of where they're at in their, you know, injury recovery or where they're coming along in their young horse to grown up process. Like they're all, yeah, they're all treated the same. So six kind of, it's a smaller number, but it's the same amount of work, you know? Same amount of hours that 60 horses take up, right? Yeah. The right number of staff. Yeah. So, um, and I know that, you know, you and I both have been able to complete all of the tasks and job that go into working with those animals. Um, can you talk a little bit about hiring staff and how many jobs there are that you need to fill, whether you have a barn of six horses or 60? I mean, most of our listeners either have their own horse with someone else's, you know, under someone else's training or in their backyard. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of customers who are in the horse show world don't really get to see the behind the scenes stuff. If you take care of your own horse, you do know all of the steps that go into um, getting yourself to the ring with your animal. But yeah. if you're in charge of a barn, that's a different story. Um, I think the hardest part about staff at the moment is finding it. <laughs> I'm very lucky in this. I'm very lucky in the sense that I have a great group of people in the barn with me right now between grooms, riders, vets, blacksmiths, you know, it takes a village and there's not just one person that gets a thank you at the end of the day. Like for me, everybody that's involved plays some significant role in the horses and the riders being successful. Um, I, think what was sorry what was the beginning of the question was it just about (laughs) I I just I lost my train of thought and I couldn't remember let's hope I can backtrack and remember (laughs) I I just am I'm interested to see hear your opinion on the number of jobs we have in the barn I mean I I can go through them in my head but you know the number of jobs we have in the barn and the people that are needed to fill them so let's let's find a a number that works for you know somewhere in between a meet I would say you have a small size barn right now right Yeah. And yeah. the barn that we used to work for before we, you know, are doing our current jobs, that was, was not a, small, not small, large, <laughs> yeah, I mean, 60 horses that, that somebody had to be in charge of. So let's yeah. say for a t- medium sized 12 to 15 horse barn, mm-hmm. um, you know, you you have, we can go through it, right? We've got at least one trainer, usually two. Um, you've got those trainers generally generally ride, although not always, you know, sometimes there's a rider, a show rider, and then some exercise riders that help uh, prepare the horses or just keep them fit. Um, How many grooms would you say for a barn of that size? I'm a big fan of grooms not having more than three horses. Um, Mm -hmm. I know kind of a normal number is four for most barns. Um, I think the demand on the horses and the grooms and everybody involved has increased so much in the horse show world that it's very important that whoever's taking care of the horses has enough time and enough concern to, you know, check the legs every day. Know when there's the tiniest thing off with your horse, know if their manure is different than it was yesterday. You know, it's, tiny little things like that, that you need people to pay attention to. Cause at the end of the day that can, you know, what seems like a silly little thing to pay attention to can turn into a huge situation. Um, 
you know, I think right. that on occasion, you know, four is fine. And again, I'm very lucky. I work for a wonderful family and it's a private barn and, you know, we're able to take care of the horses, how they deserve to be taken care of. And, you know, within reason, if I ask for another groom or ask for another therapy machine or something like that, like it's, it's doable, but I'm also not naive to think that every barn is lucky enough to be able to staff as they should or need to. And that's whether it's a financial thing or whether it's just the sheer fact that you can't find anybody. Like I think I was just going to say, going back to even finding people to do all those jobs, it it's, is really hard. I find. And, and we're the ones that if people either don't show up for their job or quit or you're just short staffed in general, you know, we have to be the ones running the barn that know how to do all of those jobs. Yeah. And like, I consider what I do. I love what I do. I love the horses. I love competing. I love the sport of it all. But like, uh, staff is just tough. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's really tough. And I've learned over the years that unfortunately you can't teach people to care. I tried for a really long time to teach people Mm -hmm. to care and it just, it tortures you more than it tortures whoever you're trying to teach and to take care of horses, whether they're in your backyard, whether they're jumping five stars or anywhere in between that, you have to care enough to do right by the horse and you know, maybe your dinner plans fail. Maybe you can't, you know, go get your nails done until next week. Maybe you miss out on a dinner with friends, but like at the end of the day, for me, the horse is all that matters. And like, there's not enough. I don't think there's enough people that feel that way. And, you know, there is a, there's a large group of grooms out there that do care. I'm not meaning to sound like nobody cares and like, you know, it's a free for all out there because there are a group of people that care a lot and do a wonderful job and, you know, consider the barn and the horses, their family as generic as that sounds. But it's important to have those people because, you know, whether you're a show groom or a home groom or the person that picks the paddocks or, you know, just silly little jobs that seem so insignificant it does matter and like i said earlier everybody the role that everybody plays is humongous you know you have to have the right people at the show taking care of the horses and those people are normally expected to be more independent because you know if i'm here at the stable doing stuff For example, there's horses over in FEI that I can't go see every 20 minutes, whether I would like to or not. (laughs) And like, you have to have people there that you know are putting the magnetic blanket on, that are hand walking the horses enough, that are feeding them when they're supposed to feed them. But it's also equally as important to have people at the home stable that can be there putting horses away and doing all the same things. So for me, having the staff at the show and the staff at home, like 
not one person is more important than another. I think everybody needs to be treated a bit equally and feel important and is part as much of a part of the process as they can. Right. Because we're all supposed to be a team helping each other, you know, and I think the hard thing about a show barn is you're really providing two services. You're providing services to the horse where we're taking care of them. We're already asking them to do these, you know, asininely enormous athletic endeavors, which who came up with this sport? I'm not really sure, but we're all doing (laughs) it. (laughs) And, and it's really hard on them and hard on their bodies. And, they are the athletes really out there performing. And so we have to take care of them. But then we're also, whether you're working for one private person as you are, or I'm running a barn with several different clients, we're providing a service to the client as well. And they're the ones that really don't see the part where, okay, my groom didn't show up this morning, so I need to go muck that stall. And I better know yeah. how to muck that stall or else, you know, step one of the day is just totally over. Yeah. It's, it's like making your bed. It's cleaning from step one. Then, you know, to every little detail that goes into making sure the horse is fed the right way, making sure the mm-hmm. horse is prepared, you know, not just in their bodies, but, you know, quiet and relaxed and have enough time to get to the ring and try to perform at their best. And, yeah. or even if it's not just, just setting up for a lesson, you know, the client yeah. walks in when the horse is tacked up and ready. Sometimes they don't have any idea what went on between, you know, when we started feeding at seven to their Be- lesson at 10. Between 30. six and 8 a.m., most of your day yeah. is done. <laughs> Over, <laughs> exactly. So if you don't have someone that's in there, you know, who's working for you that does, and when you say care, you know, not only just care about the job, but care about the horse. Yeah. And we rely on them so much. We just, I, I think sometimes that's like the last thing that gets, we, we just sort of put it together if there's a hole to be, to be filled. So, yeah. Um, I try very hard kind of at the, you know, to a fault. I try to make my staff feel involved and important and cared for and respected most of all, because I think we've all been places where, you don't feel any of those things. And why would you, you know, unless you're an extra special kind of person, why would you go above and beyond if you're not feeling like the insane? Exactly. Like not treated well or included. Right. Yeah. Like I think it's very important to, I think people need to feel appreciated and respected, you know, well within reason, like for me, respect is an earned Luxury. I think mm-hmm. that sure. respect should never just be thrown around and kind of given to people. I think that you can be respectful as a person and you don't have to treat anybody badly. But until you've done the work and put the blood, sweat, and tears into it, like I think it's for me, that's very important. I think that molded kind of how I try to be i not i'm not always but i try really hard right. to same you know like i said before i try really hard to be all of those things and i just i you know i worked my butt off i almost you mean said try to be ch- those things as a as an employee or as a boss or manager kind of all of the above like i just right i put in the work well i think I as a manager or, or like 
when you have when you have people working for you, they need to know that you're willing to do their job just as much as you're. Well, exactly. Like to do exactly. That's it's important. Like I'm I help body clip. I do stalls. I get up early and turn horses out. And like I don't do it because I want people to be like, oh, my God, you're amazing or whatever. I do it because it's what's right for the horse and what's right for the people. And it doesn't always work out that way. I'm not claiming perfection by any stretch of the imagination because I am far from it. But, you know, I think that trying your best and just doing the best you can is kind of all we can ask for at this point. (laughs) Right. And, and going back to, you know, kind of providing a service, like I said, both for the horses and the customers, it's, it's the same thing as, you know, working in a restaurant or working in the service industry. Um, I actually have picked up a side job of working in the, in a restaurant recently. And, you know, you, you, everybody goes out to eat, everybody sits down and knows what they want and orders it. And they only interact with one person, uh, your waitress, but which is, let's call that your trainer, but you don't realize that just from the minute you order to getting your food out, there's so much that goes into that process. And it, if, if one slot is missing, whether it's, you know, the waitress screwing up the orders, which by the way, I've already done that a couple of times (laughs) or, (laughs) or the chef preparing the meal, or they didn't get the right food order in that week. And so they don't have an ingredient or the dishwasher who is totally in the background that nobody interacts with. But if, you know, there's a reason they can't come to work that day, they, you know, they, they have a spot that needs to be filled that someone else has got to do that job if they can't come in. And, I think it's so important for all of our, you know, all of our staff to understand that, all of the customers to understand that. And that, and then we add in the fact that we're dealing with a live animal and who might wake up one morning and be in not the mood that we want them to be. So we have to adjust to them. So, um, yeah. And I think, and it's tough too. I, we, you and I have even joked about when we're looking for staff, you know, you're the only thing you need to do is show up. And if you have any experience or a lot of experience or none, we'll, we'll figure that part out. But sometimes just, it's really sad how low the standards have gotten for what we look for in staff, just the ability that they like can show up on time. Most of the time is kind of all we have to start with. Like you just said, and well, and there's something else. Like you, you said, you can't teach people to care. Do you think you can teach effort? Do you think you can teach work effort? Work effort. I do, but I think it has to again be a special person that loves the sport, loves the horses, wants to reach some sort of level or goal, or have some sort of vision in mind. Because I. I think if you just come into this industry and are just like, Oh, I'm going to brush horses and go home and Mm -hmm. whatever, like, unfortunately that's what it's turning into, but it shouldn't be because of the reason, like you just said, as we're dealing with a live animal, it's not just a bunch of people in an office that can walk away at the end of the day. And, you know, things happen. Sometimes horses get sick at six in the morning. Sometimes they get sick at midnight and you just have to, again, incorporate that good group of people that you have and 
just deal with it. Like you never know what any day is going to throw at you. And if you get upset when plans change or a horse gets sick at the wrong time or who knows the laundry list of things that can happen. But like, right. I think one of the biggest things is caring and learning to just go with the flow. And that is something that I have been working on for a lot of years. We all have. Just, yes. Yeah. <laughs> And it's we hard. Are. And that's and a like, challenge because we you think you make a plan, you you want it to go the right way. And this is true in life. It never too. does. You know, you, it never does. And adjusting as you go. And if you don't have the staff that can adjust, I mean, I've yeah. I've been a part of many situations where my groom is falling apart because instead of her two hours that she thought she had to get to the ring, now I need her in 20 minutes because we've flip-flopped the day. Yeah. And and that's that's not an easy ask, but it's it gets harder the the more the, the less adaptable you are. And yeah. I think for me, like not all the time. Like I'm not a huge fan of change, but like <laughs> well, I do thrive under pressure. So for me, situations like that kind of like really get me going and get me extra focused. And I'm like, okay, we have instead of two hours, we have 20 minutes. Everybody get yourselves together, pitch in, right. do what needs to get done, and off we go. Because that's the only right. answer. There's not a do oh, what needs well. to get done. Exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, we're not supposed to use our JV swear words, or maybe I can, but like it's a <laughs> get, it's a get shit done kind of job. And uh-huh. That's just the Sometimes reality literally. of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I think the one thing that I appreciate whenever I'm hiring or even just have anybody working with me is attitude. And, yeah, you know, you can teach the details to anybody. And like, you know, like we said, we're not... It's a really, really hard job, but it's not hard to learn. So if you're yeah. if you're open to learning, I remember I had <clears throat> I was at the Saratoga Horse Show when it was at the track, and uh, those barns, as you know, are really long, and it just they're really inefficient to work with if you have a lot of horses, and so. And they also um, don't remember, close for the most part, which is difficult. No, it really is. So many loose horses. <laughs> That's another story, and. I, for some reason, we, we were always a barn of, let's say 10 to 15 horses, but for some reason at this horse show, I think I had, you know, maybe 19 or 20 that I had to, um, be in charge of for two weeks. And so I hired three extra grooms probably off of Craigslist. I mean, I don't even know where they came from, but again, you're looking for a temporary job. But you need, you, you need up. bodies there because yeah. it's so far from the stable to the show ring. Lead them to the you, ring. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and this one girl who I actually came to love and she did work for us on and off for a long time, but she was a sister of a rider that I was helping. And, you know, she had helped a little in the backyard and, and taken care of their animals as needed, but she was in no way prepared for our 15 hour days. Um, but she was super eager and really, really energetic. And um, we're, we're, we're there day one where we've set up, um, it's, you know, getting dark cause you never get done before daylight's over in those days. And I'm going over the plan for the next day and I'm trying to plan out how long they need in the morning to get the stalls done, you know, get the, get the stalls mucked and feed the horses before we start riding. And I say to her, we're just going to call her Mary, Mary, um, 
How long I bet will Mary take knows you? that you're talking about her. If she hears, this. <laughs> uh, she probably will. Mary, how how long does it take you to clean four stalls? Because now she's, she, I literally met her that day. I've known her sister, but not her. And she looks at me and she goes, um, 20 minutes. And I looked at her. <laughs> Wrong answer. Said, Where the hell have you been? If you can really <laughs> clean four stalls in 20 minutes, it takes me 20 minutes to clean one stall. And I'm pretty fast. And that's being pretty detailed, but still. Um, let's try to cut that down to, you know, 10 minutes a stall maybe. And, but how about I give you 40 minutes? And she says, okay, I can do that. Well, the next day it takes her 40 minutes to clean one stall. And, you know, then your whole morning is just totally backed up, but this girl never stopped smiling, never stopped telling me it's okay, Christy, I'll get it done. And I could have had a terrible day with her, but I had a hilarious day with her because I couldn't help but laugh. And I think attitude makes such a difference when you're doing something that's in the moment, pretty high stress. And because we know, like you said, between the hours of, what did you say? Six to eight. Yeah. But they could also be like four to eight, five to eight. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. I'm like, okay, we're going to start at five today. Oh, tomorrow we got to start at four fifteen because yeah. we needed all that extra time. But um, do you have any um, crazy staff stories of of somebody that's given you a funny answer? Um, honestly, off the top of my head, on the spot. I, yeah, I'm falling short a little bit, and I should have thought about this more, especially since you told me about it beforehand. But <laughs> so um, I'm not really putting on the spot. Actually, <laughs> get it together. <laughs> I just, yeah, I just think that like it's just like the random things. Like for example. I don't know if everybody is going to know what a pair of big dotas is. It's a pair of hind boots that you put on horses to like help them jump a bit better. And so we were in Vermont. This is a million years ago and I don't even remember the person's name. Sorry about that. Um, (laughs) Well, then you don't have to worry about, but I was, (laughs) (laughs) but I was in the feed room and we were sending like 20 horses up for the equitation or something. And I just happened to like, peek around the corner from the feed room and this person has the hind boots on the front legs and the front boots on the hind legs <laughs> and like which I if, know you're that, a, if you're a if you're a if you're a let's just you say, have no you clue. know average horse person you have you no have idea no clue. that they go a boot where, is a exactly. boot is a boot <laughs> right <laughs> like, right exactly but i just happened to be like having one of those moments and i was just like what am i doing <laughs> like how can i <laughs> How can I not make this easier for everybody? And like, Where did I fail as a manager yeah, to exactly. now let that like, happen? What did what did I do wrong? Right. <laughs> like, but I think that like part of my job is, you know, to take care of the staff and help them not fail. You know, to help them succeed yeah. at everything. I kind of, you know, I do more for them than I probably should. But I would rather have everybody be successful, including the horses, including the riders, grooms, of course. But like, if that means me setting out blankets the night before for turnout or like, or labeling boots front, like labeling (laughs) boots, labeling studs, like Mm -hmm. things that seem so silly, but like I learned somewhere. So I guess I hope I'm that person for somebody else. 
Well, and, and that's it, right? Is those learning, you you have to screw up in order to learn and having those learning moments that could have turned into, you know, you kind of ripping her apart because you're stressed that she did the wrong thing. And now yeah. it's, the horse is late to the ring and, <laughs> or we're going to assume and pretend that you definitely did this. You take the time to say, actually, <laughs> in a calm manner. <laughs> I did. I don't, I can't sweetie, promise these boots go in the the, moment, on these legs. <laughs> It was probably these boots go back here. And I'm going to go like ahead this. and assume since it was like 20 years ago, I probably didn't maintain my composure as well as I should have. <laughs> I hope that I did, but again, I but you remember it, so now it's a learning moment that for, for exactly you, that you for everybody, recall, right? For yeah. everybody, yeah. And I don't think that, that poor person girl, does horses anymore. I was which just going to say, better whether, idea. <laughs> whether that poor girl went on to stay in the horse business or was like, oh, F this. I'm not, uh, I can't. these boots are boots. What the hell does yeah. it matter if they go in the front of the Why back? Why is which, this girl yelling at me again? <laughs> again. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, screwing up happens in any industry. And, and if you're going to take the time to, teach someone to hopefully be a more valuable contributor to the whole team later. Um, yeah. It takes some patience and um, it, you know, I, the, I'm sorry. I just remembered something <laughs> we had. I had this girl working for me. This was like first day of WAF first year of lock show stables, like pretty important horse going to the ring. Not that any of them are not important, but you know what I sure, mean? Sure, but it was a quote big and deal for whatever we needed. She, yeah. I was up at the ring kind of waiting for her and I watch her come around the corner and there are no boots on the horse. Not one boot. So Which we've at that moved level for our listeners, like, like we, yeah, not only are the boots not on the wrong, le- wrong on the right legs, there are none at all, which there, is a big there deal. There are none. A big and mistake. so she, yeah. she walks up to the ring and I was like, where are your boots? Well, what do you mean? And I'm like, "Um, where, why are your horse's legs naked? And she was like, well, you didn't set any boots out for me. And I was like, they all have lockers and their boots live in their lockers and their jumpers. Jumping horses wear boots for the most part. (laughs) (laughs) They do. And it was just so funny. Her like, nonchalantness is that a word nonchalantness yeah. uh, anyway. we're gonna call it yes we're gonna say yes for this purpose of this podcast but- <laughs> i make up words all the time so let's call it yes but anyway she was just so chill about it and i'm like it never fails whether it's been like two weeks or a month or however long since you poor showed it never fails the day one is some sort of chaos for no good reason like it for always sure. just there's there's always something simple that happens that doesn't need to, but it's just like, Mm. I think one of the most chaotic moments of my, well, not career, because that would be a bold statement, but it was our first morning in try on. This was like uh, many moons ago, but like I was riding one super early and we had three or four in the first class and I get back to the barn and I've like, written out on the board everything that needs to be done like what time they need to leave to go to which the ring. side note side note for anybody listening every barn or every show barn has a large whiteboard at the front of their barn and as a manager you do think that if you write it down it will get done which your job is to, for- your job is to <laughs> idiot proof bidet 
like, the whole day, the, the whole day, the extent of your capabilities. That's your job. Which and my whiteboards were always so full of words and times that probably people looked at it and just got totally confused. But anyways, yeah. continue. <laughs> <laughs> but I swear to God, every horse had the wrong bridle on. Nothing was braided. The grooms were just like sitting down having coffee when I got back from riding. And I was like, okay, so this is how today is going to go. I need to like mentally prepare myself for what's about to happen. And we're just going to do our best. <laughs> and tomorrow right. will be better. <laughs> right. Right. Because your first reaction when you get back to the barn after you've been the one out there, like riding, probably in the rain, riding something, mm-hmm. you know, early and they're relaxing in the barn is to be mad. But that's, but back to, you know, being respected, mm-hmm. you need, a, they do need a little bit of a break. Probably they've just gotten done cleaning five stalls each and just, we're hoping to have a little coffee I just, before they I keep just going. looked at them and I was like, I appreciate you guys, but like, <laughs> Like, get up. We've got stuff to do. Like, I'll buy you all coffee in two hours, I promise. (laughs) Right. You got to get going. Well, there's the effort, too. I had, you know, at the same time, we're making fun of these poor people who have had to put up with us for very, very little money. Um, that's another day, another, another topic. I, you know, we also get these people that will do anything right for us and for the horses. I had this one girl who worked for me on and off for years and she, and she did everything. I, she did it. She groomed, she, uh, rode, she showed even a little bit. Um, I put her in charge of the other, in charge of the staff when I didn't have time for it. And, we were at Lake Placid at the horse show there, which again, for listeners is actually a pretty big deal horse show. It's, it's like you said, it wasn't that the show where the boots were on at the wrong, the wrong Vermont. legs. Yeah. Oh, Vermont. Okay. Well, similar. And I'm, we're supposed to have had all of the horses, um, their legs and ears trimmed before we get to the show. Well, some horse, uh, got forgotten. And that particular horse was a raging, four-letter word that I probably am not allowed to say on this podcast, but um, <laughs> just terrible with the clippers. And uh, usually we only got it done at home or usually did because you could sedate them. So it wasn't a big deal. Well, now we're at the horse show and she shows the next day and she, I decide she looks terrible. Instead of just letting it go and letting it not be a big deal and we put a bonnet on her and and make sure her legs are extra dry because the legs and the ears are what have to be trimmed. I tell my manager, this girl who would do anything for me to please get this horse trimmed today. And I leave to go to the ring and teach. And by the time I come back, she's looking at me with (laughs) her mouth full of blood, two teeth (laughs) in one hand. Stop it. And one ear, only one ear done on this horse who was a chestnut mare and just a this, just I hope very this girl difficult. got a raise this day. I <laughs> probably did not. I probably like got her a smoothie or something and that's it. So she, she, she says, I'm really sorry, but I just tried to do my best. And I don't think I can do the other one because she smacked me in the mouth off the ladder. And now I have oh two front teeth in my hand. And she worked the whole next day. <laughs> It's no front teeth. Not at all. I'm sure because we were, again, at the horse show, it had to get done. And what am I going to do? Let her go home and go to the dentist? Nope, that didn't happen. So 
There's you're way more hardcore of, than I am. <laughs> there's a lot of lessons to be learned there for sure. Yeah. But but these these girls or these, you know, not just girls, um, but these people who who do go to the extreme to work for you. And she wasn't general. I mean, she was in pain, but she was like, how do I get the other year done? (laughs) Yes, she was. (laughs) But she was looking at me like, I'm not really sure I can get the other year done. When I did then say, I think we can skip the other year. We'll just not do that today. Um, Oh my gosh. But you know, I think there it's, it's so wonderful to, to sometimes hire people who will go to those extremes for you. And well, it's very refreshing. It's refreshing to actually meet somebody that's still like gung ho about this sport and like what could be, right. and, you know, all the and things she cared that about, they could get out of it. Exactly. She cared about her job. Like she cared about getting that horse to the ring, looking its best. And now we looked worse because we only had one ear done and a groom <laughs> with no teeth. That's called picking your battles. <laughs> that is right. <laughs> this has been so fun. I, I do miss you. I wish that I don't wish I were in Wellington, but I do wish that I could see you more because um, I know you're going to have to come down for a visit. Well, or you're going to have to come back on the podcast. So why don't we try to I do both? Do, I will <laughs> do that every week. That's no problem. Perfect. Okay. I like that. Good. <laughs> I have All plenty right, well, of stories to tell. Well, there it is. I would like some, you know, next week, a story about whatever happened this week. That was something that was a little bit challenging, but you worked through it. And how is your staff right now? I know that now they are listening. This is great. I'm throwing them under the bus. (laughs) (laughs) You better say they're awesome. Um, Right now, my staff is amazing. No, they really are. Like I have, I have a great group of people that really love the horses and want everybody to just kind of succeed and do well and that's kind of what we're here for at the end of the day you know so right i mean we're like i said we're providing a service to the horses we're providing a service to the people and we're also trying to you know win and have fun i mean yeah it's that's a lot of two don't always go hand in hand but no no they don't (laughs) again another podcast winning versus fun (laughs) exactly exactly all right. Well, you have All a great right. week. Um, I wish you, you luck too. and I will look forward to our next pod. Thank you guys very much. We'll chat with you soon. All right. Thanks, James. Take care. Bye. All I can think of is how grateful I am to work from home recording podcasts and not in a stable as a barn manager. Christy, I really don't know how you guys have done it Mm -hmm. and continue to do it. Kudos to your patience. Really, it's incredible. Thank gosh we could laugh about it, right? Because sometimes if you can't laugh, you cry. And I know we all much prefer a bit of laughter in our lives. That's the only way to keep any business going, isn't it? Is to at least be able to (laughs) laugh at the end of the day. You have to. And, you know, I'm sure you and Jamie dealt with your own share of ulcer care. And we're happy to highlight our title sponsor who can help with just that, Reline GI. Reline GI is a natural long-term alternative that goes beyond masking symptoms. This unique blend of gut-friendly hyaluronin and wellness-boosting beta-glucan works with your horse's body to soothe and protect their digestive system. Unlike traditional therapies that can disrupt digestion and nutrient absorption, Reline GI leaves your horse's natural balance intact. But don't take our word for it. 
Reline GI is field tested by leading veterinarians and backed by peer-reviewed research, including a study by Dr. Nathan Slovis, showing it effectively reduces gastric ulcers in active horses. Plus, it's clean, sport certified, safe for competition use. Don't forget to use code SJP at checkout for 10% off, linked in our show notes. Now, Christy, I saw recently on Facebook that you had another clinic. Congrats. Love to see it. Where did you go? And far more importantly, what on earth is the ring of death, the circle Mm -hmm. of death? I need all the details. Yeah. um, I just got back from two clinics, actually. It was a one-day clinic on Saturday in Rochester, New York at Heberly Stables. And um, then I drove an hour west and went to a barn in Lockport, New York, called the Duffy Housel Group. And um, it, it was so fun. And the circle of death is not nearly as scary as it sounds. But what it is, is four jumps set on a circle, and they could be any number of strides apart. These Each day, um, they were set six strides apart. And the cool thing was both uh, the rings that they were being set in or the arenas were very differently shaped. So the first day was an actual circle, uh, circular ring. So it could be a perfect circle. And that just means that you were nicely able to practice turning through the whole circle over four jumps at a time, which is really hard. And the reason it's called circle of death is it's just means it's very, very hard to do. It feels like you're dying when you do it, but if you do it well, (laughs) Just kidding. If you do it well, it can feel amazing. And it really gets your horse supple from one direction to another. It works on track. It works on pace. Um, The second day, the ring was pretty more traditionally set as a rectangle ring. And so you had two end jumps, essentially, and then two jumps on the long side. And you were still doing six strides, but it it made it a bit harder because you have to jump the two jumps that were on the long sides, you you don't jump. It's easier to just continue turning. That really mm-hmm. is a simpler exercise. Doesn't mean it's um, it always goes well, but it's harder to jump a jump on the land on the correct lead, the inside lead, go straight, and then have only one or two strides to approach the second jump, land and turn, and then you're straight again for the next. And it was fun because almost everybody who did it really struggled in the beginning, and then. And nothing no what brings they people were. together like sucking. Exactly. <laughs> and everyone's, you know, and then you're watching another and you're like, oh, yeah, like you, you thought I was bad. Look at you. And <laughs> we're all having a good time with it. But it's it's so interesting when you put jumps that are that close together and that connected. And the idea is to do it on a circle over and over. And not everybody was able to ride at the level of completing that perfectly. But whatever level they they were able to, they did ride at whatever thing they were, whatever they were best able to accomplish, whether it was two in a row or three in a row. Sometimes it was the horses that couldn't handle Mm. all five in a row, you know, but we just try, I just tried to break it down and have everybody be able to do it both directions. And then of course you, we had a few other jumps set in the center of the circle uh, that you can make all different types of courses with. And it just teaches you how to turn and it teaches you how to control your track and track and pace. Like we've talked about in the past are crucial to navigating any course. And 
you know, I had one girl who was just trying so hard to do it right. And she kept doing five in one section and then seven in another and then five and seven. And we just couldn't find that middle ground. And finally, when we did, she just she had the biggest smile on her face and she just gave her horse the biggest pat. And she was so happy that something that was 30 minutes prior seemed impossible. She she nailed it. And that that's what I love about clinics is you set something very technical. You break it down so that it's accessible and then you come out with some positive result. That's the only way I like to end a lesson is you don't, you might not be able to do the entire thing, do the entire exercise that everyone else can do, or even one person can do in the group of four or five. But if you can get part of it done well, I, that's such a win for me. And I just, I, that's really why I love teaching is seeing that sense of confidence come from doing that. Because then when you go back to jumping basic courses that you've been showing at over all summer, you suddenly you feel like a you know, genius because it's way simpler and you have so much more knowledge underneath you about how to approach the little, you know, the trickier parts. So and then it was great. It was really fun. Yeah. Eventually, you know, when you have the experience, you can start piecing all the bits of knowledge together and and it all makes sense magically, but it starts with those aha moments. And and I think they are ma- magical. I've experienced them myself as a rider. And once it clicks and you get it and your horse gets it, I don't know if there's a better feeling, especially, you know, as you right. said, when it started out so hard. So if our listeners want to try this, the circle of death at home, please mm-hmm. uh, do not sue us. We don't have lawyers, so be careful. <laughs> no liability here at all. <laughs> uh, what what uh, height are these fences that you were working on? Uh, pretty small. You know, I, I think the... The thing is, it can be hard at any height. So right. I had a couple of groups that were really only jumping two feet or two foot six in their entire riding career, but that didn't matter. We just we set the jumps then at a at an accessible beginning height of about two feet, and you still had to complete the track correctly. That we didn't change the track according to the height of the jump. So the smaller the jumps, they're not even like riding straight lines where you might do an ad in a straight line of the smaller the jumps are. This was so much about turning and, and staying on the six strides. Or I had one group who was a little more advanced who could correctly do five and seven, which correlates a little to that track exercise I had a few weeks ago that the five is more direct, the seven is wider, that leads you back to the five, but that's really hard to do in a in four jumps in a row, which turns into circle, 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 circle. And hopefully you don't get dizzy doing that. But <laughs> the height of the jump is is irrelevant. The 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 big the highest I think I had said it was maybe three three by the very end for some of the more advanced riders. I would not actually set it any higher than that because it's not a exercise to encourage high jumping. It's mm-hmm. an exercise to encourage stepping the jump so that you are still in control of where your horse lands. Um, and you might see in an equitation class at three, six, or even a higher level jumper class, you might see two of those jumps set together, but you're never going to see four in a row, and uh, in if, a, in a horse show. If you do, um, please report that to the USHGA. Right. Uh, <laughs> we don't want to exactly. see that. <laughs> we don't want to see that. Yeah. But you know, if you're able to do it at a smaller height, you should be able to do a less technical bending line at a bigger height, a little easier. And clinics are not meant to be a show prep, you know, environment. They're supposed to be hard. They're supposed to be 
something different that maybe you don't see most of the time or every day. I think I first saw this exercise when I was a junior and I I thought it was as overwhelming as I could. And I think at the time I was doing it, we were set in a small schooling area. It was one of those, um, you know, very tight arenas and we were doing three strides in a row. And let me tell you, that can change a lot of things doing three to three to three to three over and over and over. And you have to keep track of all sides of your horse. So it was great. We, we worked on so many different, you know, little problems that came up for each rider and each horse and everybody left at least to me, everybody left with a smile on their face. They might have gone home and gone to their parents. Can you believe what she made me do? I don't want her to come back ever again. But hopefully not. I had a good time. And that's what clinics are all about, the clinician having a good time, right? Exactly. It's about me. Of course. That's why I do it. No, I I, I do think everybody had a positive experience, even those that, you know, were on some some more challenging horses. I did get on one of the horses that I got off and told the girls she had the hardest job of the entire clinic because her horse was so difficult to ride. Um, and, but, but she did get it done and she, she rode her best and her horse was very big and very strong and really was not interested in doing repetitive, difficult, Mm -hmm. um, exercises, but she, she got it all done and they were better because of it afterwards. That's so awesome. We love, we love a win. We love smiling riders. You know, it's, a good a good exercise to start the year because like you said you're thinking about every side of the horse every step of the horse the leads like yeah. i'm i'm really getting like car sick thinking about this exercise so let's let's well and if anybody <laughs> does want to set this uh, please remember progress over perfection yes. and i think i've used that in the past but this is really about one st- literally one step at a time and uh, trying to put one section of each circle together at a time. And so, you know, I drilled these kids pretty hard and made them do probably what was a little more than I would do in a normal lesson. If it were my own barn, you know, I'm a little softer on my own clients when I'm teaching because I I don't want it to overwhelm them. But when you're in a clinic and you have the longer period of mm-hmm. time set and, you know, it's worth, it's worth pushing a little harder to see what you can do. Absolutely. So I know we have an exciting new segment that we are we're stoked to introduce in 2024. We had some listeners and I think even one of your students from the clinic submitted a question if I'm not mistaken. Uh this clinic that I taught really answered a question that I get all the time and I got it both from a student um that participated in the clinic and I have another uh previous student named Mary. Uh her name really is Mary this time. I used her name as a substitute for the uh, groom that worked for me, but this person really is named Mary. So um, Mary frequently asked me how to help with when she loses her track and pace and number of steps in a bending line. And is there a strategy to help with that? Well, Mary, you're in luck. Just do the circle of death, which we did a lot with her. Um It really is about controlling every side of your horse while counting. And that's a little bit of multitasking. And that sounds simple and straightforward, but it's not. Because when you're riding, especially if you're a student where you're a thinker and a little more of a thinker than a feeler, you end up, 
you can end up overthinking where, what to do. You know, you have this sort of laundry list in your head of what you're supposed to be doing while you're trying to keep track of the number of strides that you're on. So again, this circle of death had six strides set between each, um, each jump. Now here's a side note. If you walked it and you walked the number of feet between each jump, it really did walk in five strides, but because you're on such a turning exercise, the six, the which was a collected six was really the correct answer. It's too fast to do as set and five and five, five, five. So let's pretend that I had an equitation class and I did have two of those jumps uh, in a row and not four. You want to make sure that you keep your horse on the right track, which means jumping center of jump one to center of jump two. You want to make sure that all four aids that you're using, left rein, right rein, left leg, right leg, they're all working together. And there's that takes a lot of practice. You can practice on the flat to prepare for that, meaning think about one aid at a time and see if you can, you know, for example, you're turning left and you want to use your inside rein. Well, if you only think of inside rein and you and you deliberately forget everything else, your horse is just going to spin to the left. So then add your outside rein. Well, now you're turning to the left, but you're also maintaining this track and steering with your outside rein. Then see if you can keep those two aids working as you've just asked them to do and add inside leg. And inside leg helps keep your horse straight um, and hopefully off that inside lead or an inside rein and then outside leg continues to help the horse turn. So you're using all four of these aids as you're counting. And then again, practice on the flat, set two poles on the ground, count out loud, six strides. You can even count out loud without any poles on the ground, but breaking it down to figure out how to keep your feeling or keep your feel happening with your hands and your legs and keep your brain on the number of stride takes a lot of practice. So whether you can set the circle of death and practice that all, you know, that's kind of shoved up in your face or break it down into little baby steps and add some poles on the ground and out loud be counting, then those are those are some things to help with keeping track of the number of strides that you're on. And it sounds to me that uh, if you're really, really struggling on the bending line, uh, maybe you know, hammer down your stride counts on straightaways first and get confident there. And then let's add some hot sauce. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That make it hot, a little bit hotter each time. Not too hot. (laughs) Not too hot. Not Not too too hot hot all the way in. The circle of death is very hot. Spicy. Extra spicy. Spicy. You got it. (laughs) We'll call that a, a, a nine of 10 spice. So Let's go. Let's practice it. Practice one or two. Mild. Let's go with mild, mild sauce. I, now I just want wings. What the heck? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Making me hungry. Okay. Um, Our next question is from Amy in Boston who asked, how do you deal with nerves before a show? Specifically, do you have a r- ritual or routine that help that helps you or could help others? I practice, take lessons, know the questions being asked, but sometimes my nerves seem to take over. And Amy, let me just say from one anxious girly to another, I see you, I hear you, and I can't wait for Christy's answer. (laughs) (laughs) I think nerves happen to almost everybody in some capacity or not, um, or another. I mean, I think that 
trusting that you've done your homework. You know, she says she practices, she takes lessons, she knows the questions being asked. So you've got to trust yourself at some point and dealing with emotion and dealing with pressure or nerves, um, whether it's because you want to do well, you put pressure on yourself, whether it's because you get nervous having other people watch you, or it's a very, you know, in, in your year, it's an important class or it's an important day. It's, it's both trusting that you've already, you've done your homework. You, you aren't going to improve your writing on that second. So whatever your best writing ability is, you're going to work towards keeping that as average as possible while you keep your brain under control. And so that will help your emotions. If you can, you know, your body probably already knows how to go straight and then turn and come forward out of the corner. And if you can trust that your homework is already done and just think about approaching that class or that day as if it were a lesson at home where you have no pressure uh, that's, that's sort of the best thing. And that's my strategy. I, I got nervous plenty, you know, it was, yeah, some horse shows where it's sort of old hat and I just, I'm going a little bit going through the motions. I don't worry about my nerves and I do, I am able to think about what I'm doing on the horse. And sometimes that means I'm doing a little extra training in competition. Um, that's that's from repetition. That's just from showing over and over and over. And I think a lot of amateurs or juniors don't get that opportunity. And if they show, one horse, you know, 15, 16 times a year, it's a really big deal when they walk in the ring. And I, I just want to emphasize trying to imagine that each day is the same as every day, because that's what we teach when it's over too. you know, whether it goes wonderfully or poorly, or somebody made a mistake, we still are going home, you know, every night, it's still another day at the office. It's still another lesson to learn to improve to next time. So Taking the pressure off yourself can help a little bit with nerves. Approaching it like it's it's another day and another lesson can help with nerves. And trusting that you've done the homework to get there. You might not feel totally in charge of every action that you're going to put yourself through. But if 80% of it is stuff that you've already practiced, let that go. Your body will have yeah, that'll just happen in the ring. Focus on, you know, focus on the harder stuff that you can really try to nail down once you're in there. So that, that's my advice for Amy. That's great, Christy. And and I'll just add, uh, when I was showing in Italy a few years ago, uh, it was my first return to the oh, show. Fancy. Oh, fancy. You showed in Italy. I, you know, just a little, <laughs> a little plug there. <laughs> nice. <laughs> when it, I, it was my first return to the show ring since being a junior rider. And uh, as a junior rider, I very much felt the way Amy wrote in. I mean, I was a wreck. Um, and this time around, I really focused on, granted, I didn't have as much at stake, right? But I just was like, I'm really doing this for fun. And you can tell in my pictures, I'm smiling over all my fences because I'm just out there having fun. And and I know that's easier said than done, but I think it's important that we're all doing this because we love it and we should be having fun. We're paying a lot of money to have fun. So just right. try to laugh, and right? You know, if exactly. You, if laugh you at yourself yeah. and laugh at your horse. And we are trying to do, we are doing this because it's fun in some way. And, and anything that we do that's fun, um, we're more relaxed about. So yeah, adding any element where you can, where you can add in an element of fun should, should change your perspective. And like a glass of Prosecco doesn't hurt either before you go in the ring. Well, guys. then there's that. No. 
<laughs> no judgment. Anybody can do whatever they need to get themselves to the ring in a relaxed fashion, safely. Just be safe for your horse. That's all. That's all. No, uh, yeah, no DUI is on course, guys. That's right. That is right. Okay. <laughs> and finally, Katie from New York City wants to know, do you have any tips for regaining or gaining confidence once you've lost your mojo? That's a great question. And I think uh, it's something everyone has dealt with, right? Like from being overhorsed or having a bad fall, like I think right. almost every rider could relate to that question. Well, and you know, in any any competition anywhere, a win builds on a, another win. And so when you're when you're kind of gaining momentum, it feels great and you you increase your confidence, which increases might not increase your skill level, but increases maybe the effort you put into that skill. And it's easy. And I've been in this position plenty of times. It's easy to lose that very quickly with one, one undone motion, you know, whether you, whether it's a fall or whether it's a bad round, um, a tough horse, you ride a tough lesson, even at home. And the best thing you know, it kind of goes a little bit with the show nerves, but you've, you've got to put a little bit of faith into what you've already accomplished yourself um, in the past, since usually those setbacks happen after you've uh, accomplished, you know, something. You don't start with a setback. You usually gain, gain momentum and then something happens and you lose that mojo, as she says. Going back and watching some old videos that are successful rounds or successful lessons and remembering that you you are capable of doing it well and trying to also visualize what that, you know, visualize that round and see what that emotion feels like in your body. And that sounds really hokey, but more meaning how did not just how does that look, but how did I feel when that happened during the round, after the round? What did I go on to accomplish or, or you know, how did I how did I ride after that round happened the next day? So relying a little bit on your past when it went well is usually this. This, the path you can take to go forward. And it's hard to get yourself out of a rut if that's what's happening and you've lost your your groove. Another way to do this is um, lower your expectations for a short while. You know, it's okay to step down a level and be successful at some, you know, at a, let's say you're jumping three six and you have been showing all summer and then you have a bad fall and three six now feels really big. Go back to three foot for a little while, you know, or three, three and gain some confidence. Confidence is everything. Uh, another huge portion of any, you know, any disruption in your forward momentum is working with somebody who gives you confidence because it's hard to talk yourself into it. You need someone standing there and not everybody has it, but it, it doesn't have to be your trainer. It can be your friend, it can be a parent, it can be, you know, your significant other. And if somebody who can kind of be your own cheerleader, you have to be your own cheerleader, but somebody else that's standing next to you, uh, that that's really helpful too. And I think the last thing I would say is while you're regaining some forward momentum and mojo, celebrate the small wins. It's, it's not the worst to you know, have a round that maybe was an 80 or an 82, but understand or recognize that that one outside line that usually is hard off the left lead, you really nailed it that time. You were super straight. You you jumped in exactly how you wanted to. You got the lead change out, whatever it is. Uh, celebrate those parts because they'll build back up on each other again. And um, eventually you'll be back and heading 
uh, heading forward again. That's such a great answer. And uh, thank you to Katie, Amy, and Real Mary for (laughs) submitting Mm, your questions. Love her. (laughs) (laughs) And if you guys want your questions answered, you guys being our listeners at large, remember that you can now go ahead and submit those directly to me at my email, ashley at horseradionetwork.com. Or if you go to horseradionetwork.com, on the right-hand side, you'll see a red icon that says voicemail line. And you can click record a voicemail and we'll maybe even play it on air. So you could be famous. <laughs> yes, just like us. Yeah, in our minds. <laughs> for the eight people, for the eight people that listen to this podcast so far. <laughs> Thank you, eight listeners. <laughs> please write in all of your questions that you've ever had. We can keep keep recording them. No, really, please write in, and um, it doesn't have to just be on training. It can be on you know horse care, barn management, show prep, riding specifics, um, anything. You know, it's um, I'm happy to. Uh, happy to answer and happy to hear what you have to say. So I look forward to reading them. Um, I think that wraps us up, uh, wraps us up, Ashley. Is that right? Yeah, that's all I've got. Okay, great. Well, thanks everybody for tuning into our first show of 2024. See you next time.